Well, good morning. As Perry said, my name is Zach, and I'm uh, so excited to be with you all this Sunday. We are continuing the series that we're calling Beyond Blue. We find ourselves in a particular time of hurt. There is so much going on that, that fills us with, with pain, with, with uh, despondency, with, with so many emotions that we would have never asked for. But we're also in a season of hurt. This time of year, as we end one year and go into the next, it's a time of reflection. Where were my expectations not met? Where were my goals unaccomplished? And to try to get the courage to muster up hope to dream again in the next is difficult, let alone that we have had a couple tough years back to back, and this has had a huge impact on us. And so we want to look at the stories that God graciously gives us in his word of full of people who hurt like us, who worry like us, who scream like us, who doubt like us. One of my favorite people in the Bible is John the Baptist. God spoke through so many incredible men and women of the faith in the Old Testament, and yet while all of that was happening, people kept turning away from God. They kept refusing to listen to his voice, and we get to a point where God stopped speaking to his people. And then in the first few pages of the New Testament, God breaks his silence. He speaks to John's parents. He speaks to Jesus' parents, but then he starts to speak through John as well. People stop. They take notice. There's something different about this guy, and I don't just mean he dressed weird and ate bugs. No, he was bold. He held firmly to the truth of who God is. He denied himself of so much to follow God in this special way, pursuing him. He, he spoke with such boldness and clarity, calling people to repent, to turn away from your sins and turn to God, and people flocked to him. He went toe-to-toe with the leaders of the day, calling them out for their hypocrisy, showing where they were more concerned with gaining power and abusing it than using it in the way that God had called them to do. And people took notice of that until the point where his boldness, his unwaveringly following God's way for him, his his, uh, speaking clearly to follow God's standard of living gets him thrown into jail for all of that. But he knows his role. I'm not the guy. My job is to point to the guy. There's one coming after me who will do greater things even than I could do. You can throw me in jail, Herod Antipas, but Jesus has come. Look at, uh, we'll, we'll be in Matthew throughout this entire morning, but look with me first in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, in verse 12. This is how John announces Jesus, this one who is coming after him, this one who will do works even greater than he is doing. He talks about this one who is to come in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. He says his, <clears throat> his winnowing fork is in his hand. He is reaping. He is harvesting. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. Those that he know, knows will be brought into his presence. But the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. John is calling people to repent for their sins, to follow uh, God faithfully, and he is looking for the day when those who do not care about God, who take no notice of his ways, those who are bringing injustice and pain in this world will be punished for it. 
And yet, John's still in jail. And Herod Antipas is still sleeping with his brother's wife. And Jesus isn't doing anything about it. And so doubts start to creep in. Flip over to Matthew chapter 11. Verse 2, it says this, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Verse 3, And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus, I had announced you as the Messiah, the one who is going to make all things right, but now I'm just not so sure. I was faithfully following after God, but now I'm facing punishment for that instead of reward. I had baptized you, and you were supposed to come and baptize people with the Holy Spirit and fire, but it doesn't seem like you're keeping your end of the bargain. Jesus, when I was arrested, not only did you not do anything about it, you left town. You bailed. Maybe you aren't the one that I was waiting for after all. And doubts start to creep in. What was once boldness is now hesitancy to protect yourself so you don't get hurt, so you don't get your hopes up anymore. And we might say, well, of course, this John the Baptist has been thrown in prison. Spoiler alert, he's on death row. Uh, anyone would have doubts in that cir- circumstance, how they would get to that point in their lives. But this is John the Baptist. God breaks his silence to his people by speaking through this man. He denied himself so much in this life so he could pursue the way God was calling him to. He was unwavering in his belief of God. This is how Jesus describes him in in Matthew 11, verse 11. It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He goes on to say that the the whole Old Testament is building up to this one, that that he was prophesied. He's this promised one who is announcing the Messiah has come. He says, no one born of woman is greater than him. John the Baptist looks at your world's greatest boss mug and just laughs because his says world's greatest human. And yet that guy had doubts. There is so much going on that that fills us with with pain and hurts. There is so much that can attack and damage our emotional, physical, spiritual, mental health. And what's most disastrous is we're never just suffering the thing that we're suffering. Our hardships are more than just the thing that's difficult for us. John's problems went beyond him being in jail. Because when we're going through times of pain and suffering and, and hardship, we always add to that. People don't know what to say around us or or they get to a point where they don't like being around us when we're feeling so much pain, when that's all that we're talking about. And so now we tack on isolation to our list of problems, which was first pain, it's now pain plus isolation. We have expectations that we put on others, on ourselves, and when those fall short, we're now adding disappointment to our list. Hardships and suffering and pain are often a wound to our pride because we couldn't do anything to stop this. Things were more out of control than, than we thought. We, we were less in control of things than we cared to admit. And in these times, we add doubt. 
See, doubt finds us when times are hard. Doubt finds us when times are hard. We see that with John the Baptist, who he's been thrown into prison. He's on his way to his death. And in that moment, he starts to have doubt. He went from announcing Jesus as the Messiah to going through this difficulty, to going through doubt, and now, well, he's not so sure. And John is far from the only figure in the the Bible to have doubts find him when times were hard. I think of Abraham. God says, I will make you into a great nation, but how is that possible when he doesn't even have a single child? Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe God won't do this. So Abraham takes things into his own hands. He has a child with a woman who's not his life, and how he responded to doubt makes things worse for him. Moses has been gone 40 days up the mountain, and the people are having doubts, and doubts lead to a golden calf. Samuel is late. He was supposed to be here, and now the people are leaving, and so Saul is starting to be full of fear and doubt. He has to do something, so he breaks the commandment from God. He offers a sacrifice, and that starts the downfall of his reign. Doubt finds us when times are hard. And it's truly horrific that we act at times like we cannot have doubts. We can't show doubts. We we have to pretend like we are uh, uh, believing perfectly at all times, that, that churches have this perspective that you can't ask these questions. You can't show these, these questions that you have about God. But there's a couple problems with this. First, it proves that we don't read our Bibles because doubts are all over the pages of Scripture. And second, it removes us from any chance we could have of hope, of going beyond this, of working through doubts, because it separates us from each other, and we don't acknowledge that doubts are all over God's people still. This is something common to all of us. We all ask questions of, how long, O Lord? Why is this happening? I thought things would have been fixed by now. Why do you keep allowing this to happen? Why is all of this still occurring? Maybe uh, I I thought things would have worked out differently. Why, God, why? And in these times of asking these questions, if those questions and statements are left unattended, we add to them. They turn into more questions. They turn into despondency than to despair to what we call a crisis of faith. It's never doubt that pushes us to that point, but it's how we respond to doubt that makes all the difference. Because if left untreated, if ignored, if made to feel like these are unique to us, that we're going through this alone, then doubt builds and takes us from a time that was full of pain and hurt to begin with, and completely shakes and shatters our world around us. So grateful that John was not left in his doubts, but Jesus responds to him. Look at Matthew 11, starting in verse 4. The question was, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. John, 
Even John, in times of pain and difficulty, had doubts find him when times were hard. He, like all of us, judged, or, uh, judged God based off of the circumstances that were going on in his life. And he gets this response from Jesus, which on one level is, is showing all of these acts that are, are said here, all of these deeds that Jesus are doing. They were promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do these things. So he is offering an answer in some way. But John had this expectation that Jesus was going to come and bring righteousness and justice to this world. And what Jesus is showing in each one of these, he is undoing some of the evil that he comes across. John, you are having doubts because of the hardship of your life, but look at what is going on. I am making all things new. Not the answer you were expecting, not the answer you wanted, but I am the one you were waiting for. Doubt finds us when times are hard. And when these are left unattended, doubt can sap us of all hope. They can fill us full of despair. And when we doubt something as big in our lives as the person and work of Jesus, it completely take away our entire being, our entire purpose, and leave us in such a shattered and depleted state. So why is there doubt? If it's something that could be so disastrous to us, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just have some sort of doubt blocker that so when he enters into us, we never have to go through any of this? Why does doubt exist? Well, doubt can be good. We have doubts because we have been created curious and discerning. God created this beautiful world that we live in, and our curiosity takes us to discover things, to learn more about him, to worship him because of that. And as we come across things in our curiosity, we, we see this thing is good, this thing is bad, and discernment helps us choose what is good for us. All of that is a good thing. But we run into issues when our, our curiosity has us create insufficient hypotheses in the times that we falsely discern that our circumstances do not align with God's character, which is just a really convoluted way of saying doubt finds us when times are hard, and we don't know how to explain that. But doubt, when done properly, could be such a good thing. Doubt helps me not to fall victim when I get a phone call and on the other line is a robotic voice telling me that they want to talk about my car's extended warranty. <laughs> joke's on you, bud. I can't afford an extended warranty. <laughs> doubt helps us to arrive to the truth when, uh, that an alien did not, in fact, come and take the last cookie with its tractor beam, despite the child with crumbs over his face saying that that's what they saw happen. Doubt helps me to know what to do when I get my about weekly email from Pastor Tom saying, hey, can you get me some gift cards? But I'm really busy and in a meeting, so don't call me. Just respond back to this email. But it's really interesting because the email is not from calvarybible.com, and I've gotten those while in a meeting with Tom before. <laughs> but more than any of that, doubt can actually help us grow closer to God. In the times that we are questioning what is true, well, that will drive us to the God who is truth. I really like how Charles Spurgeon put it. Yeah, imagine that, Spurgeon having a great quote. But he says, uh, the heart that has never doubted has not yet learned to believe. As the farmers say, the land that will not grow a thistle will not grow wheat. In other words, it's actually more dangerous to not have doubts about God 
than to have them. Well, why is that? Doubts occur in a mind that is pursuing after God and trying to align itself with God's ways. Doubt shows up when we are trying to live through this broken world and reconcile it to a God that is perfect. That's when we have these questions. That's when we have these doubts, and they can actually drive us closer to God. When we don't have doubts about God, that's showing us that we probably don't have thoughts about God. So doubts can be a good thing. They actually strip away false thoughts, false beliefs that we have about him that are not true. They, they help remove these things that we hold from tradition or from what we, what we experience and creating that as to be things about God, but that's actually not true. And in so doing, we draw it closer in better relationship with God going through doubts than if we wouldn't have done them. We said doubt is not as something that shows that we don't have faith. Doubt isn't something that forces people away from God or, or towards rash decisions or anything like that. It's how we respond to doubt that makes all of the difference. Well, then how do we respond? In those times that we ask those questions, why God, how long? In those times that we make those statements about him, you must not care. How do we respond to those times of doubt? Well, the first way that we respond to doubt is we don't doubt alone. We don't doubt alone. This is why it's so terrifying that we have to put on smiles and this perspective that we're just really strong Christians all the time and we don't share our difficulties with, with others. You're not allowed to ask questions. You can't say that about God, you know. Because when we do that, we are actively driving people towards despair. So we don't doubt alone. Find someone. Find, jump into a group. Find a, a, a man or a woman older than you to show how they've gone through their doubts because here's the thing, they've gone through them. Find people to help you feel like you're not going through this alone because when we feel like that, our doubts just grow and grow and grow. But when we have people around us, they can be deflated we can have people walking through them. They don't have to push us towards despair. Second way we, we respond is uh, we remember how God has been good to us in the past, how God has worked throughout human history, and we celebrate that together. So in those times that we ask those questions, is God really good? We, we sang that earlier, God is good to me. When we don't feel that to be true, well, where have we seen God be good to us in the past? When we question, does God even care? Well, where has God demonstrated his love for you before? And this is so hard to do in doubt when we're just full of pain, when it feels like there's nothing that we can look at beyond that. So what was step one again? We don't doubt alone. And those times when we can't recall God's goodness when we uh, are not able to look at the personal work of Jesus, we need others to come alongside of us and lighten the load. Similarly, we, we fill ourselves with truth. We respond to our doubts by filling ourselves with truth. When we're in doubt, it's actually time to read the Bible more rather than less. Some of the times when we're doubting, we're actually doubting things about God that aren't actually true about God. We, we might have created them. We might have unknowingly created a God that we very much so should doubt. 
Often we see people in pain, and it's the, I thought God would never allow this to happen to his people. And yes, that that should be doubted because that's not said about God. Instead, God gives better promises than that. I am with you always. I will make all things new. I will bring justice and righteousness to this world. I have gone before you to suffer all things so that I can sympathize in every way. Those are better promises than just us robotically being protected at all times. And so we need to return to the God of the Bible in the times that we're doubting who God is. C.S. Lewis said it on a different topic, but I think it's very true here. He said, this is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind it must be fed. It's true of all times and all places by all Christians, but all the more true when we are going through doubt, when we're questioning what do we believe. We need to turn to the source. We respond by going slow. Maybe we read the story of John the Baptist, and and we get a little bit angry. John had doubts. He expressed them to Jesus, and he got an answer. Sure, not the answer that he wanted, but man, must be nice to get something. Because rarely, hear that as probably never, are our doubts resolved overnight. Instead, it's years or what feels like years of, of asking these questions which is why we need this process. We need to go through these steps to see what God is working so that we can grow closer to him. We can have wisdom or we can have speed, but we can't have both. This is why I take great comfort in the story of Thomas, perhaps the Bible's most famous doubter. He is told by the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They're all rejoicing and celebrating that. And Thomas's words are, unless if I see and touch the wounds, I will never believe. That is such a strong statement. I will never believe. And often we jump to Jesus appears to him and then he believes and it's all great. But we skip a part that John 20 gives us. It says, eight days later eight days of going through this doubt. And we, sure, we might say, that's, that's just over a week. That's not a long time at all. But that must have felt like an eternity. Eight days of being surrounded by these people saying, Jesus has been uh, brought back to life, and you don't believe that. Eight days of being surrounded by people uh, worshiping, and you don't feel there's any reason to worship. You thought this was the Messiah, and he's dead. You followed him for years, and that's done now. Eight days of feeling like the odd one out, stuck in doubts. And yet when Jesus comes to him, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's, oh man, look how much better things would have been better for you if you just didn't doubt. No, no, no. He now knows Jesus better than he did before because he went through that period of doubt. So we got to go slow because that's often how God is working through us in our doubts to bring us closer to him. When in doubt, we respond by not doubting alone. We remember and celebrate. We fill ourselves with truth. We go slow. And we remember that doubt is not the end. Doubt is not the opposite of belief. We actually have a word for that. It's unbelief. It's not doubt. Doubt could demonstrate 
a faith that is growing rather than a faith that is absent. And we see that doubt is not the end, that God brings people back to him. And as we doubt, as we ask questions, as we go through times of pain and hardship, and as we add to it like we always do doubt, we join a long list of doubters before us. Abraham, John the Baptist, Spurgeon, and least deserving to be ever included in a list with those three guys, me. Every time there's pain in my life, whether it's big or small, I instantly go back to those same doubts that I ask, those same statements and questions that I say over and over and over again. How grateful are we to have a God who is bigger than our doubts? How grateful are we to have a church where we don't have to pretend like things are going perfect all the time, but we can actually offer support to each other in our doubts? How grateful are we to have a hope that is unwavering because it's not based off of our efforts. It's not based off of how strong we believe. It's not based off of how good of a Christian we look like. It is based off the Jesus who John doubted, who Thomas doubted, Everybody has doubted, and yet he came to seek and save the lost, the doubter. Doubt finds us when times are hard, when we are in a season and a time like we are in. Doubts find us in those moments. And it could be a time that God is working through that, and that's why we need to go through those steps together to get beyond our doubts. But we are also in a particular time of doubt. Doubt's finding people when they're hard, but we are seeing more and more stories or more and more publicized stories or maybe just some stories that are hitting closer to home of people doubting to the point of walking out the doors of church. There's this movement uh, that we hear about going on in Christianity called deconstruction. This is a word that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people and probably means more than it ought to. But we see people having doubts, and it's not necessarily linked to pain, but it's linked to a variety of reasons. People walking away for a variety of reasons. It could be those horror stories that we tell. They grew up in the church, then they went to college, and they took one class, and now they don't believe anything they believed in. I'm not making light of it. Like, we, we've probably heard those stories. We might know someone who's done that. But statistically, that's not why people are leaving the church. We might know stories, but if you look at the reasons why people are, are leaving, that's, that's not a common one. We see people leave because of a desire for sin. And this is nothing new. We, we are given a way by God that is uh, joyous and for our good and, and for us to be close to him. And yet, all of us ask that question of, is it really though? Because that thing over there looks pretty good. And I think I'd rather do that instead. And we fall in the footsteps of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, where a desire to go against what God had for them starts with a doubt. Did God really say? and it's walking away from a special presence. We see people leave church because of, of being hurt by Christians or people that they care about being hurt, whether that's an individual or an entire people group. And some of this might not be fair, but we have to be honest that there are some truly awful moments in the church's history. There's some truly awful moments going on right now. There's abuses of just about every kind, 
There are churches that are clearly misusing their nonprofit status. There are churches that are clearly preying on people. And yet we're hearing that that be kind of lumped in to be altered. All churches are like that because these are the stories that are heard. And so it's, why would I go to a church if this is what they're like? Why would I believe in their God if this is how they treat people? People are leaving because the brokenness of this world goes well past these past two years. How can we go to a place that talks about the goodness of God when there's so much pain out there in this world? So we see a lot of reasons why people are walking away from the church of wanting nothing to do with God, but none of these are actually deconstruction. These would be deconversions, which are not new. It's been happening for as long as there's been churches, but it does seem like it's been more and more common. Deconversion says, I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with God. Deconstruction is a question or is a statement that says, I want nothing to do with the church that I experienced. This is abuses of leadership. This is hypocrisy in the church. This is people within the church driving people out. This is not being allowed to ask questions, not being allowed to show weakness. And a lot of people carry hurts from their particular church experience. And, and so it's the time of trying to see what is it that I do believe about God because the churches that I've been in don't seem to talk about him or they don't seem to talk about what I expect this God to be. So we're seeing deconversions and deconstructions and both of them have at them an aspect of doubt. It's a question that builds and builds and builds. And it's either walking away from God or walking out the doors of a church not ready to go back in. And since doubt is at the core of these, our steps could be helpful. Don't doubt alone. Remember and celebrate. Fill yourself with truth. Go slow. Remember, doubt is not the end. But it's a little bit of a different situation. Because in times of pain and hurt, we need to be surrounded by our church community to help us through doubts. But if we don't feel like God is worth pursuing, or we don't feel like church is safe to share these things with, or we don't feel like we even want to go to that church, well, it's hard to go through those steps. So in times of deconversion and deconstruction, if we want to offer help, and I would, I would certainly hope all of you would when you hear these stories, we might need a couple more steps to either counteract or to preemptively, preemptively find hope in the midst of these doubts. The first step that we could do when someone is going through a time like this is we listen. We listen. There are a variety of reasons why someone might be going through doubt, might be walking away from the church or walking away from God. And if we come at someone with apologetics, with answering the questions of Christianity, when really what they're struggling with is God's goodness, we might be causing more damage than good. So we need to listen. There's so much that we can have in terms of an impact in our community, in, in people's lives, if we were just quick to listen in all things. We need this for the sake of the person, for our sake as people, for the sake of this church. Allowing questions to be asked helps make sure that we stay on mission as a church. Allowing questions to be asked stops abuse in its tracks. Asking questions and listening to an answer helps us to provide help that is actual help instead of what we just think they need. We, in times of doubt, must grow 
to be quick to listen. So when coming across someone who's experiencing doubt, first step is we listen. Second step is still probably listen. Up to eight step is probably still listen. But in the midst of that, remember that doubt is not the end. That even those who want nothing to do with God, they are not too far gone. That God works through all people. And whether they know it or not, God is around them. God is in that time. And we want to help connect people to that God who is greater than any doubt. But it's a particularly difficult time for parents as well. That as we're seeing people walk away from God, walk away from the church, there's, there's this fear of what if my child does the same? So I think there's a couple preventative steps that we could take. We have no guarantee that, that our children will follow in our footsteps of faith, but I think there's a couple things that we could do that could be a help in this. The, and, and I just want to ask questions to help us take inventory of this. And the first one is, is Christ compelling in your household? If we're seeing people walk away from Jesus to things that they think, think are better, are we seeing Jesus magnified there? Is the joy that we found in him on display? Is the hope that we so desperately rely on something that is shown in our homes, or is it just something that's assumed? Or is Christianity just a set of, a set of rules to follow? Or would we even find it at all? Do we see Christ on display in our homes? Are you giving them a faith that they could rely on going forward? Let me give just one example of, of this. LifeWay did a study a couple years back about what, what do we see, what are traits that we find in students who leave the home and they remain in the faith. And the first one that they came to was Bible reading. So are you teaching your child to study and read God's word themselves? I don't have time to be making this point, let alone to give practical examples, but believe me when I say that there is a kids team here and a student ministries team here that wakes up every morning just wishing you would ask for help on this to help raise your child to read the Bible themselves. So I encourage you, find them after this or tune me out for the rest of it. I don't really care. Email them, whatever you need to do. Just talk to them to see how can you help your child read the Bible for themselves to develop and grow in faith that can withstand any pull away from Jesus? Is church compelling in your household? Is it seen as a place where we can weep, where we can grow, where we can recharge? Is it seen as a beacon of light in a dark world? Or is it just something we do? We go and we listen to a guy from a different campus speak for way too long and then we get to go to lunch. Is it something disposable? That the first moment or the first thing that comes up on a Sunday morning that, that seems better, well, church is the first thing to go. Where did this generation see, uh, uh, learn to find things other to do than church, asked parents who spent their childhood doing the same thing. Are your kids able to see your doubts? Do they know what you struggle with? Do they know the times where it's been really difficult for you to follow after God so that when doubts come for them, they can draw on your perseverance and hope as well instead of thinking, my parents never went through this. There must be something wrong with me. I, I just want to leave us with, with just one reminder at the end that doubt is not the end. Doubt's not the opposite of faith, that when we're experiencing it, it doesn't mean that there's something broken inside of us, there's something broken in this world. 
That when we're coming along people that seem to be following Jesus so strongly, and now they're asking questions, they're acting just like John the Baptist, and we should come alongside of them like Jesus did for John. When people are saying things that, that make us blush because it's so uh, harsh and so cruel to a God that we love so much, that it doesn't, we shouldn't shy away from those moments, but we're just hearing the words of Scripture read back to us in their own lives, contextualized for them. And doubt is not the end. That as people are going through these times, they're not too far gone. They're not uh, beyond being rescued by God. But oftentimes, God is working through those moments to bring people back to him. Doubt often follows a cycle, whether it's through pain or through experiences or through questioning of whether we want to stick with God or not. God, uh, doubt often follows the cycle that we hear about in, in this little snippet of a T.S. Eliot poem. He says, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know for the place for the first time. That's the trajectory, often, of doubt. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for the stories that you give us, that so often we feel like these thoughts and emotions and hurts and pains must not be compatible with following after you, and yet you give us story after story after story of people who struggle just like us. We're grateful for heroes of the faith like John the Baptist who had doubts. We're grateful for the example they set for us of following after you, of using that as an opportunity to know you more that we wouldn't get unless if we were going through this time. But doubt is a period of hurt, and we never want to pretend otherwise, and you never ask us to. It hurts us when we're asking these questions. It hurts to see someone that we love asking in these ways. It hurts to see people that we care about so much go from asking to making accusations. Yet we know that you are present in doubt, that you are working, you're never quitting. Help us to have that stamina and fortitude as well, to come alongside each other, those you put in our lives, to see how we too and they can get beyond our doubts. It's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.